Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. Last week, we started into this story of Jesus. Specifically, what is Jesus doing to continue the story, continue God's work in the story of Shalom? And and so we started with community, which I thought, this might be a little strange to start with community and then move to the individual, which is what we're doing today. But in every single case that Jesus is working and moves into communities and restores the community... He is restoring individuals. And so I think, well, let's talk about community, and then let's talk about the individual. And that's what we're doing this morning, because here's the... Let's back up for a second. We love to talk about the individual. Churches, we as in church, love to talk about the individual. In fact, it's very difficult to separate the idea of religion and faith as from an individualistic thing. It's very difficult to separate that. So I almost hesitate to frame any conversation in terms of the individual. But it's part of the story. So we shouldn't ignore that part of the story. We just need to fill it out with also the conversations about community and restoring creation and restoring humanity and restoring uh, relationships. And, And it has to be more than the individual. But... Jesus spends a lot of time with individuals, and in each of those cases, Jesus is bringing a peace, P-I-E-C-E, a peace of shalom back to the community and back to that individual. So shalom, let's just do a broad thing real quick. If you've missed any of our moments, shalom has this big, complex usage in Scripture. It gets translated all different ways. It gets translated as peace, which is how we typically know it. It gets translated as welfare, as in the welfare of a community or a city. It gets translated as as sort of a retributive justice or a, a reparations type concept, if you will. It gets translated in a lot of different ways. And typically, well... Most often, it is actually used in the context of community, not in the context of peace without war or in an individualistic sense. Most of the time, it is about restoring community to right relationship or right order or right social structure that lifts up and levels the playing field for everyone. That's shalom. And here's the deal. We, can, we did, in fact, start with Genesis 1. And we did one week, we just ran through everything. We walked from Genesis 1 all the way through the early church. And then we'll get to our church. But shalom is the central concept, the central theme in Scripture. That's a big claim. I think it's justified. 
I think if you read through Scripture and you frame it in the context of Shalom and you recognize the different pieces and how God is working, you will always see the thread of God working to bring about justice, to bring about peace, to bring about resolution, to bring about harmony amongst every living creature. This morning we're going to look at Mark, the Gospel, and I want us to think about the ways in which Jesus works. A few weeks ago we talked about Munarista theology. That is a Latina feminist liberation theology, which sounds all big and scary. It's not. It really just means what does it mean to talk about, to think about, to read Scripture from the perspective of a Latin American woman. This morning, I want to continue that line of thought just ever so briefly because uh, we're going to frame it a little differently. This morning, I want to take the story of the Exodus and the story of Jesus. This is not my original idea. This is not my original thought for what it's worth. Many have done this. Brueggemann, who we've referenced twice now in this series, is, uh, is who I'm pulling from in doing this because in the story of the Exodus, you have God stepping in to fix or to resolve broken social structures, to bring wholeness and completeness, other words that the Scripture is translated from shalom, wholeness or completeness to a community that is broken. In the story of Jesus, that's what's happening. In every moment, at every point in time, Jesus is restoring life to people that have had it stripped away from them. So we talk about the table this morning and coming to the table. Every single moment, Jesus is moving from one person to the next, restoring life, Restoring community, bringing people back into wholeness and completeness. So, we're going to start with Mark chapter 1. And then we're going to unwind the text a little bit. From the perspective of the brickyard in Exodus. You know what I mean? Chapter 1, verse 14. So Mark goes through, like he does a little, uh, little bit of information, like here's what's going on, here's where we're starting our story, and then things start to pick up in verse 14. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the launch. This is how Mark has framed the entire narrative of Jesus' ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, as we're talking about shalom and the work that has begun in Genesis 1, God is working for shalom to bring about order and peace and relational completeness and wholeness to communities and to families and to individuals and to all of the cosmos, continues that work 
through the Exodus, through the prophets, and now into the story of Jesus. And Mark frames the story by quoting Jesus, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Now here's what's interesting. Because we're talking about a story that has a long history. We don't get this in the English. We don't get a lot of things in the English. Another conversation. The Greek verb here is in the perfect tense, which represents an action that begun in the past and is being carried on into the present. Fulfilled and has come near are in the perfect tense. Meaning Mark is saying that Jesus is saying, Mark is saying that Jesus is saying, the time that has been being fulfilled, that is the coming about of shalom for however long this is envisioned, and is continuing into the present, the time that has been coming near, has been coming near, and continues into the present, is still happening and will continue to happen through the story of Jesus. So we don't start our story here, even though Mark is starting his story. His use of language tells us, actually, this story has already begun, and Jesus is coming along to continue the narrative of Shalom. Now remember, well, don't remember, but notice, Mark starts here with this very brief statement. This is the same moment that Luke records with Jesus in the in uh, teaching, and he pulls out the scroll and he says, I have come to give good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free and, the, and so that the blind can see. This is the same moment. They're recording them differently, but they have to be in context with one another because the good news is much larger than the good news for me personally. It is the good news for setting the oppressed free, for lifting up marginalized for giving sight to the blind. God is working to restore humanity one individual, one person, one moment at a time. And Jesus is coming in and carrying on the work that God has been doing and continuing that into his own ministry that happens. And everything that follows is about this continuation of God bringing shalom to the world and to our communities and to our cities, which feel broken and irreparably broken, step by step. So from here to the end of Mark, he's going to tell one story after the next of who? He's going to tell stories of Jesus encountering those that are sick, those that are uh, uh, possessed, those that have leprosy, those that are dead, those that are ungrateful, people that have lost their value in society. So let's read this sentence again from the place of the brickyard. How does the brickyard function? Let's just do this for a second. That's your job. Go. I know, we're asking a lot. You got to make bricks. In the brickyard, you got to make bricks. Jim... Under task masters. What else you got? Sums it up. Okay, let me ask you this. 
Who has value in the brickyard? Bricks. Yes, the bricks. The Those that are in charge with power. Yes. Who else? The workers? Oh. Say, start it, say one more time. They have some power, which I would translate as they have value. The workers have value. Yeah, that's kind of it, right? Here's the deal. The workers is an important distinction from everyone who is oppressed or enslaved in that scenario because not everyone is able to do the work. And in the brickyard, if you don't If you can't do the work, you have no value. Not just subjugated value of the workers or not just minimal value, replaceable value as the workers. Uh, Certainly not the power central uh, mechanism from top-down value. You have no value if you can't do work in the brickyard. Jesus goes from individual to individual that have, been, that have had their value taken from them through their community. Those that are sick can't participate in the communal economy. Those that are, that are broken, possessed, uh, with leprosy, the guilty, all of them have had their value, their dignity, their personhood, their livelihood, their, their place in the community stripped from them. And the same thing happens here today. We go to these rallies on Anita Place or protests or whatever from time to time, engage in conversations with those that have different opinions. And do you know what the number one thing that is said about people that live on the streets? Yeah, they don't have value because they're not pulling their weight. Because the system of structure in our community is still the same with different power levers at the top. The system of structure still says you have value when you can work. You have value when you can contribute. You have value when when you participate in these prescribed ways. And Jesus goes to each one of those people and says, actually, the whole system is wrong. Everything gets turned upside down when Jesus goes to someone who is sick or possessed or with leprosy and says, you have value because you're you. You have value because you're a child of God. You have value because you're created in the image of God. You have value that is inherent to you that is not based on some superficial structure that the world has given you to find value in yourself. When we had a conversation on mental illness on this stage, one of the things that was said, and I don't know if it got picked up that strongly, was that Jonathan named, he said, when I couldn't work, I felt like I had lost my place. Maybe not those exact words. So due to an accident, he was put in a place that he couldn't work and provide and, and perform his role that society has said, this is the role, this is your place, this is how you contribute, this is how you give value to the world around you. And when he couldn't do that, 
He said, it spun me into depression because the role wasn't there. And that's where we find our value. Things haven't changed from the brickyard. So let me read this statement again. From the place of the brickyard, if you go to that, those people, if you are Moses speaking to those people and say the time has, is fulfilled, it's been being fulfilled, but now the time is fulfilled and God continues to work and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What is the good news? You have value. God is restoring our community. God is restoring our place in the world. God is bringing shalom to a broken system, a broken structure, a broken world, a broken community, broken families. This is the story that Mark sets up when he says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled And the work that God has been doing, God is going to bring more into fruition and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And Jesus steps forward and begins one person after the next, giving life where it had been taken away. We're going to press through to chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, After some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was, so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't heal him. I'm going to pause for a second. This story was reframed for me a few weeks ago in a way that I hadn't seen it before. But at what points in our life do we see someone carried this way? Some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them at the funeral. I don't know if this is an accident, but the second that dawned on me, this passage brought on an all new level of life to me. Because the symbolic nature of physically carrying someone this way, as if at a funeral, carried by his friends, onto the rooftop, lowered down through the ground, to be laid at Jesus' feet. And Jesus then restores life to this person. This is what Jesus does. And the symbolism of the funeral ceremony, of being carried, of being lowered, and to have Jesus at the feet there 
waiting to restore life to an individual. Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, I don't think he needed to work too hard. You know, I think you can feel that look on someone's face. Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And so immediately, this person is given life back. They are restored to their community. They are re-entering the livelihood and the, and the being welcomed at the table of their community. But Jesus didn't start there. He started there by offering dignity, not through the physical form, but to the individual. Seeing him with the value and the purpose and the life that he had in him inherently. That's some next level stuff. We spend a lot of time here talking and thinking through, well, what does it mean to engage our community and to think about the world? But in these moments, we also have to think about the individual. And we do this too. We don't ignore it. But what is the, what is the moment for you that, you that sparked that in the story of Jesus? Last night at Gather, which you should come to the next one because it's a great family dinner and... Uh, and we keep asking, what is church supposed to be? And you keep saying, well, like, gather. That's what it should look like. So you should come to that. Anyway, someone, someone asked the question, do you remember Do you remember the first time that, that, that the gospel story impacted you? Do you remember how significant it was, the story of Jesus? And we read it, over and over, or we don't read it over and over, and we hear about it over and over, and we forget the significance that the story has on our own lives. But we have to both be the friend lowering the person through the ceiling and also the person laying on the mat and looking at those personal demons that, that promote our own surface-level value in the world. The same things that, that produce that is the, are the things that, that Jesus rejects in this moment. The entire business, the rejection of the very things that given, have given us the good life. This is Brueggemann. The rejection of things that make us successful, comfortable, affluent, respectable. Those same things that we strive for that drive our anxieties and our personal stress are the same things that Jesus says in this moment to this man who's laying on this mat. Set yourself free. And we're constrained by all of it, just like in the brickyard. In the brickyard, God says, this will not do. In the story of Jesus, he says, this will not do. 
We cannot live this way. We cannot be constrained by this. God sets people free. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevear and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.